0: Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone and this is Built Not Born episode 74. Today's guest is Gabe Anderson. Gabe Anderson, known as Gabe the Bass Player, is a musician, a writer, and a producer living in Nashville, Tennessee. Gabe and I discuss music, the creative process, writing, We also get into what it feels like for a band right before they walk on stage in front of a packed house and what it's like on your way up when you step on stage and the place is empty. Gabe explains why he believes every day is a comeback, the power of decision making and why chemistry is so important, not just for a band. But for life. I was so excited to get Gabe, the bass player on the show. I found Gabe's work through a past guest, a best-selling author, Derek Sivers, introduced me to Gabe's work. Also to quick note, apologies for my voice during the interview. Gabe and I recorded a few weeks back when I was fighting off the flu, which totally knocked me down. So hang in there. Uh, it's a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, hit that follow button. We have a bunch of awesome interviews to come. Did I mention marketing guru and best-selling author Seth Godin? How about American Brazilian jiu-jitsu legend Steve Maxwell? Both coming up in a few weeks. But in the meantime, enjoy my conversation with Gabe the Bass Player. And remember... Life is built, not born. Gabe Anderson, welcome to the show. Thank you, man. It's an honor to have you. Gabe, it's for an honor our... to be here. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Gabe, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, yeah, who are you and what do you do?
1: Who am I? My name is Gabe Anderson. I'm a bass player, musician, and sometimes I feel like a musician therapist, consultant shepherd. I meet with a lot of artists. I'm involved with songwriting, producing, project management, touring, putting live shows together, a little bit of everything. Wow, that is a
0: lot to unpack there. I want to get into your music career, your thoughts of being a therapist, a shepherd, a consultant. Your writing, which was uh, my introduction to your work, your blog, which is great. I just get so much value out of that, that you send it every day. I want to talk about your writing process, what you do, how you do it. Someone as busy as you finding time to post something every day, I just find remarkable. Something I know I struggle with. But before we do that, I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Gabe, where'd you grow up?
1: Yeah, so it was interesting. That question where I grew up and then the name of your podcast, Being Built Not Born, my guess is your podcast name came from perhaps a lot of this is nurture more than is nature. Yep. So while I'm fr- I'm from a very small town in Minnesota called Staples Minnesota, the thing that's probably most important about being from that small town is that it's a place growing up where everything was possible. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of no's, there was a lot of yeses because it was a small town. So if I had an idea to sell my music outside of the cafeteria at school, the answer was yes, because there wasn't 20 bands trying to sell their CD outside of the cafeteria. If I, if, if I wanted to throw a New Year's party at, in the high school gym, the answer was yes. So it was any ideas that any of us had back then in a small town like that, it was always yes. Now, the caveat with it was being in a small town, we had to come up with those ideas. There wasn't a lot of outside inspiration or somebody else picking up the ball to push it up the hill, but anything that we came up with, we could go and try it, whether it was a good idea or not. So yeah, Staples, Minnesota was a good place to grow up. Wow. What a gift that was. I mean, basically you said, just to rephrase,
0: it's a place of a lot of yeses. Everything was possible. Yeah. Hey, man, I can't. Can you like what does that do for a 10, 12 year old person that you can try something creative and not worry about looking foolish or looking forward to getting a like a hard no or you're crazy? Like what does that do for the mindset of in your formative years? What's that do?
1: Towards the beginning, optimism is really is most important before before optimism maybe shifts into uh, pessimism or maybe realism, at the beginning, optimism is really great. And I think partly I got that from my mom. My mom's very optimistic, but that is a really great way to start something is in an optimistic fashion. Because if you think you can, you're more willing to try. And if you're more willing to try the, the trying, let's, let, let me get better at things. And so in those formative years, having optimism, having yeses instead of noes made me think I could. And thinking you can is a pretty powerful thing, especially at an early age. That is so powerful
0: because just say you started with you, but just say like the mindset of the town, the company, the family, the, the team, whatever you're on is negative, where it starts off with no bad idea. Like they just say, no, they're very risk averse. No, no, no. That crushes so many great things in the future where like you like Hemingway has this saying all first drafts are shit right direct quote from like the like the greatest American writer we're like even his first draft was bad right Mm -hmm. but you got to go through the bad drafts in the beginning the bad ideas initially you got to have that optimism to put it down right to to find the sun also rises or who the bell tolls because if you just crush everything let's just say you come out with 10 ideas and if you crush them all, that one who the bell tolls never gets written. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Never mm-hmm. happens. And there was a songwriter, I forget who the songwriter was. It might've been a Motown guy. He said something like, I wrote 600 songs for 80 songwriters and I had 50 number one hits and eight were platinum. And they said, oh, everything you do turns to gold. He goes, no, I had to write 600 to get eight platinum. Right. Mm-hmm. But if, if you started with negative as I'm like, Oh no, it's everything was bad. Those eight platinum would never come out. If you didn't have the courage to ship those other 400 that were horrible. Right.
1: Yeah. And you want to be in a position to that those other, all those songs that weren't hits for that writer that they didn't, um, they didn't cause him to not be able to do it anymore. Yeah. You know, They weren't big hits. They didn't make a bunch of cash come in, but the, the perceived failure of them wasn't a closed door. It was still an opportunity to keep going. And that was uh, that's another interesting idea, the idea of accomplices and allies, where allies don't stand in your way, which is really great. And that's what I had a lot of in my hometown growing up, a lot of allies who wouldn't stand in my way. But accomplices are the ones who are with us. Mm-hmm. And those are a lot harder to come by. And, and even growing up, accomplices were harder to find. But allies are super important too because they don't—they don't block. They—they're not set up to block. And so, whether you, in, in any creative field, that's a really important idea. Uh, you're going to have a lot less accomplices than allies, but—but but if you have enough allies, you can keep going.
0: Yeah. So the allies don't stand in your way, right? Maybe give you a little bit of encouragement. Like maybe the accomplices help you hide the bodies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. They help you hide the bodies, and they're not, and they're bringing it to their grave. Uh, and it's pretty cool. So, when did you first realize, maybe the word creativity, or producing, or writing, or music? When did that first say, you know what? I, not only do I like to listen to music or read books, I like to write and produce. When did what age did you first realize that?
1: I was pretty young. I was actually I was up in Minnesota just recently with my brothers. i got two younger brothers, and we were talking about some of the stuff. Like, when did you realize? When did we all realize we wanted to get into music and, and write and do all these things? And I, I told my brothers, I said it was super early. I got a hold of uh, the Beatles' Red and Blue double disc CDs. I think it was summer after seventh grade, and that was it for me. I heard Strawberry Fields and Hey Jude and All My Loving and those songs, and something clicked that just said, "Hey, I, this is for me." and we started writing songs. And going back to what we were saying before, we I thought that the songs I was writing in seventh grade were equally good or better than All My Loving, Hey Jude, Strawberry Fields. They weren't, but I thought they were. And because I thought they were, I kept going.
0: Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that self-belief has to be there. And, and it's not delusional, but you have to have some sort of confidence where, like you mentioned earlier, like even if you wrote a song and no one really connects to it, you learn something that you bring into your next song or maybe three songs down the road where like, you know what, I can make an adjustment there. And I wouldn't know about that adjustment unless I did it in that song number one. But song number eight, you, you, you have six or seven iterations later. Song number eight is great because you had to go through song one through seven and learn that process to make eight good, right?
1: Yeah. And that's one of the great things now about with technology is being able to make a a little voice memo of a a few lyrics or a few bars of melody and then come back to it six, seven weeks later when listening back to the memos. And and there's definitely more, in, in my experience for my writing, more of a rhythm of revisiting ideas because they're so accessible now.
0: Yeah. For technology-wise, what do you use to record your thoughts? You-
1: I did. Yeah, I just use voice memo Okay. and the notes app. If I had to save one app on my phone, it'd be the notes app.
0: Yeah, that's money, isn't it? That's so money. Yeah. Yeah. The only problem with that, when I'm driving, I'm driving <laughs> it off of my job, I, you can easily get in an accident because it's not like yeah. one button. Like I got to find a better, you have like an idea and you want to put it down. And as you're driving, you got to open your phone and hit the code and you got to find notes.
1: Yeah. I've had a little bit of, if I say, if I tell Siri to make a note and then I dictate it just with my voice, it goes, okay. She yeah. misses some words, but I do that while I'm driving. I just say, hey, Siri, make a note and then say the note and it, it works.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: With my Philly accent, Siri, I'll leave a
0: note. It'll say <laughs> the Vikings are coming to town tomorrow. Like I The craziest like, stuff. It's, it's so not siri and i aren't aren't on a good relationship (laughs) like every third word's messed up so funny how about this so how about if they asked the 18 year old version of gabe anderson what he wanted to be when he grew up what would he say
1: in the biggest band in the world yeah yeah oh yeah Yeah. i mean it was by 18 years old it was full-on man i didn't have the ticket I didn't have the exact way I was going to do it, but that is that's what I wanted, and that's you know I'm not 18 anymore. And something that goes along with that idea is how dreams change or don't change while our circumstance certainly changes. And for that 18 year old, shoot for that 13 year old who wanted to be in the biggest band in the world. It's like if that dream that dream has stayed consistent in my life, but my circumstances changed, you know, I've got a couple kids and I've got other responsibilities and other people. I I serve in different ways now. And I'm in my mid thirties now. And for a lot of people at my stage, we're wrestling with that to say like we, the dream hasn't changed. Like we still want this big grand thing. But our circumstances have changed. And so what do we do? What do we do with that? And that's a really hard question. And I don't have the answers to it. But all my life, there's this big dream. And the dream hasn't really evolved, but my circumstances have. And so that's that's the lay of the land. Yeah. Yeah. And that is that is such a
0: metaphor or, or like a microcosm of so many things in the world. Like for everyone, like um a hobby of mine's Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And if you asked me 20 years ago why i was training brazilian jiu-jitsu it's like i wanted to be hoist gracie like i wanted to be like this little dude that could you know rock out all these bigger dudes right but like fast forward 20 years 25 years i'm 50 i got three kids so i got a full-time job my wife works full-time we got a million things going on with our kids i still train but i don't want to be horse Gracie anymore like i just want to stay on the mat not get hurt stay in shape i want to teach i want to learn how to teach the art better stay in that community you know what i mean grind a little bit when i work out when i can but like you know, not go to the hospital, limit the trips to the ER and the surgeries, but, um, you know, stay involved, right? Like, it's like the, the, the dream didn't change, but like the, the circumstances do. So you got to evolve the reality of the situation, right?
1: How, how is your, so within that, how has your competitive spirit changed or stayed the same in the last 25 years? That's a, an amazing question. I think
0: the ego is definitely as low as ever. Because like you're rolling now with, you know, 25 years ago, I was 20 years old. I was the youngest guy in the room. Uh, You could throw me out the second store window. I wouldn't get hurt. Now, you know what I mean? You get hurt way quicker at 50. Even if you stay in shape and you stretch and you eat good and you sleep good and you don't drink, you still get hurt, right? When you're rolling with people 25 years younger than you. But I, I, I cap out quicker. If there's some dude that's a purple belt who outweighs me by 90 pounds and he got me in a bad position and my shoulder's starting to hurt, I tap. I don't care if my belt's higher than yours and I've been training twice as long as you, I'll just tap because I want to come back the next day. You know what I mean? So you're not afraid to lower the ego and say, oh, that move got me, you got me. So I'm I'm not afraid to tap out. I'm not afraid to take a day off. Or if I train Mm -hmm. three days in a row and everyone's training on a Saturday morning, I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to train Saturday morning because I'm a little beat up and um, I might just go for a bike ride with my wife just to stay in shape and let my body heal for two days before I go back to class.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That, that question of what is it for? I think changes over time and we do good by our minds and bodies to, to listen to that change. You know, what is it for? Is it, is it to become the best is it to become the biggest or is it to maintain? Is it for just the opportunity to do it again?
0: Yeah. Are you familiar with Simon Sinek, the author? Um, yeah, yeah. 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 He has a killer book called the infinite game.
1: And oh, okay. he says
0: like, I'd right, say you're having a catch with your kids. Right, that's a game, but you're not trying to win the game of catch. You're not trying to throw the ball through your kid. You know what I mean? And kill him or exactly. her. Um, you know, you're, you're playing catch because you want to have a catch with them the next day. Like you want to keep doing it. And yeah. jujitsu for me has become the infinite game where I want to keep showing up. Where, where just by the mere fact of showing up three, four times a week, even if I'm not the craziest guy, the biggest guy, the youngest guy anymore, if I keep showing up, one, you're going to outlast ninety percent of the people that are just going to quit at some point. Uh, but two, like you just stay in the game. It'll get you where you want to go. And it might not be where you think you wanted to go 20 years ago, but it'll put you in a great place. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. How about so a couple things out there doing some background that you have such an interesting background. We could transition to your first band was called the Kicks. And your first gig, you played to a completely empty room at Stop 345 in Memphis. So you got your band. Your goal was to be the biggest band in the world, right? You got yeah. your band The kicks. And here you are in Memphis, like a really great music city, and it's an empty room. How's that make you feel?
1: Yeah, what had happened was so I was bound and determined to still play the gig because I was the one who booked it. So we showed up, it was two bands, and we get we pull up to the NU. And one of us went inside just to check in with the venue manager. And the first bad sign was the venue manager was surprised that we were there. Him being surprised we're there, this is not good. So we load in and they're like, well, you can still play the show. But we didn't know that there was a show. And so, uh, so yeah, I was like, well, guys, we're still playing this thing because we drove all the way here and I booked it. We're not just going home. And so we played for the other, the guys in the other band, they played for us and it was um, I've got some pictures from that night somewhere. And I I remember having a really good, it was silly. I mean, like we just kind of joked around a little bit, played some songs, but that practice though of loading on stage, playing the songs, loading off stage, that i mean i was already doing it in high school but that practice is super important and again whether whether it's nobody there the bar manager or thousands of people it's like that act of getting on stage playing and getting off stage that was important as ever and i'm glad we did it yeah, that reminds me almost of like you hear like say chris
0: rock or jerry seinfeld when they're working on new material like you see them on their Netflix special or their HBO special and they just slay it and they're funny for 90 minutes and your stomach hurts how funny they are. But it, people, I've known someone that saw Chris Rock at a club in New York City. Like he just showed up at this like CD comedy joint and he wasn't that funny. Like he kind of stumbled through the jokes like he's working through his material, right? And he figures out this one works, this one doesn't. That you might tell three in a row that don't work or he has to correct them. And like, like that that
1: practice, even if no one's there, it's got to be invaluable, right? There's something there's something that happens like if you're walking toward the stage and you're walking up the stairs and that last step onto the stage, there's something that happens there in that last step that is really hard to replicate in rehearsal. And that last step on stage, the more you can do that, Especially with new material, that's the mind warp is to step on stage and do the thing, whether it's new material, old material, lots of people, just a few people. But but that is, that's the key is just getting on stage and letting it rip one
0: more time yeah also too i think the beatles which i know they they show prominently in your top 100 songs the beatles had a time in germany when they started where before they were the beatles he wound up in germany and they played like malcolm gladwell talks about ten thousand hours and one of his examples were the beatles where when they went to germany not always packed houses they weren't the beatles yet and they just played their asses off in front of like very small crowds and they worked all the kinks out they refined their skills behind the scenes but live in front of people right that's basically what you're saying where you're you're putting yourself out there it doesn't matter if there's one person there or 100,000 you're working on your craft
1: yeah yeah with groups of creative people it's amazing what boredom and rep- and repetition can bring uh, you get a bunch of creative people bored long enough and some really great things happen and same thing with repetitions that you know the beatles are going in there and they only had so many songs and so when they were doing those 6 or 8 hour sets they were replaying songs but they got bored and so what did they do they added little bits and they added the talking in between and they added the guitar solos and they added you know all these it really experiments that they could try every single night and tweak and and refine and that's how you get so much good stuff yeah. and that's why a lot of times even when you go on stage and you have a great song and you know that it's great, if it's the first time you play it live, it's still a bit sticky. It still is finding its feet. It's finding the flow and the rhythm. Um, But after repetition kicks in a little bit, that's when you start really getting the tweaks and getting it right.
0: Bringing it back to jujitsu and music where the repetition one of the most, I want to say, boring, but like more overlooked things in jujitsu is drilling. Like people love the roll, rolling. You put five minutes on, and you go and you grind and see you can tap someone out, and it, and it's pretty cool. Like that brings a lot of people to jujitsu, that competitive thing. But if you wanted to get really good at jujitsu, I would cut the rolling like more in half, and I would put the half of it in drilling. I would just do a position, and I would do it 150 times. 150 yeah. times. I would do it to like, you're like, like Tiger Woods, he'd get his four iron and he would hit this four iron 400 times. He wouldn't just go play golf. He would hit his four iron hundreds of times till his fingers bled. And then you go to another club, or I would go to another position in jujitsu and drill that move 150 times. I think that's how you get better than just going. You know what I mean? Just go, like, like that drillers are killers. And just like that Bruce Lee quote, I don't fear the guy that knows 10,000 kicks. Uh, I fear the person that practiced one kick 10,000 times. Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like what you're saying right
1: yeah exactly it's that specific knowledge and specific learning comes from really finding what the hard part is not only tactically but also mentally because a lot of times i'm not a martial artist but it's probably more fun just to to hit the clock for five minutes and say like let's rock absolutely uh but mentally it's harder to make the leap to okay i'm gonna I'm going to do this kick or this technique a hundred times. Like you're doing maybe the harder physical thing, but it's certainly the harder mental thing. It yep. sounds like in your situation and in the long term, making those choices, finding those hard parts really pay dividends in the long run.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: You mentioned part of your job
0: as a therapist and shepherd. Talk about that.
1: Musicians, man, creative people. They just need a warm blanket to wrap up in and it can be super scary. It can be, it's, it's certainly unknown. And I've been around just long enough to where I can just sit and listen to, to musicians and creative people. And sometimes they just need 15 minutes of good old fashioned complaining. Sometimes they need to cry it out a little bit and I have space for that.
0: That's awesome. There, there is an empathy there. I guess maybe we could talk about empathy for a second, where 20 years ago, the word empathy would sound like softness and weakness and you're not tough. But if the, if that empathy is not there to see the world through someone else's eyes, what they may, may be feeling or seeing, can you talk about how important that is as a musician or as maybe as a producer or a consultant to empathize with someone who's maybe struggling in the creative process?
1: Yeah. you know, It's funny. Empathy is talked about quite a bit these days. And I have a little bit different view and definition of what it means. And so as it pertains to my work, one of my biggest responsibilities is not not waiting for empathy to show up because empathy is, is knowing what somebody else feels and then sharing and feeling. And a lot of times if I'm sitting down with somebody, I don't have the time or the relationship to really have empathy, but I do have time and relationship to have care. And to have unselfishness and to have love for them and understanding somebody and and really understanding what they're going through, how they feel, and sharing a feeling. I don't wait for that anymore. Mm-hmm. I make the I can make a decision to care for somebody and take a guess as to what they need. And if that feels like empathy to them, I think that's okay. If if that's the way that they that, that, that it's internalized, I think that's great. But what I'm doing from a relational and even professional standpoint is uh, not waiting for empathy and understanding to show up before I just care. Yeah. And I think caring for somebody is simply a, a choice that I make and that anybody can make. And there's no need to wait for understanding to show up. Yeah,
0: that's, that's great, man. That, that's really good. How about a couple of things I pulled up doing some research to wrap, not wrap up your music career before we move on to your writing. Dave Grohl, the Foo <laughs> fighters great, man, one of the great singers of our generation, bought you fried chicken. How'd that happen?
1: Man, we could take up the rest of the podcast with this story. It's it's long. It's really good. I'll, I'll give the short version and then I'll give like what I really took away yeah. from that. So we were, the band I was in, The Kicks, we were in Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. Dave and his crew the uh, Foo Fighters and a bunch of others were do, were showing their movie Sound City which is was a film they made a, a handful of years ago and they did a screening of it we snuck backstage afterwards there was a couple of vans that came to take Foo Fighters and the Sound City people to this restaurant we snuck into the van we just like filed in to the vans as everybody was going yeah. And we didn't know where the vans were going, of course. Like we just got in the van without, or like, we're just going. And they took us to this fried chicken place and, and we ate and hung out. And then we went back to the Four Seasons bar and hotel. And they, there was like this VIP thing and we all hung out and it was amazing. It was, there's so many little nuanced details of like, we almost got caught, but we just blended in and all this. The thing I, re- I mean, I think about it a lot, I really do, is that it was a reminder that wherever we go and whatever situation we find ourselves in, we really do belong there. And there was, at the beginning of that night, as, as it was all unraveling, not unraveling, but it was all unfolding, um, that sentiment became more true to us as the night went on, like when we first like snuck backstage, we're super self-conscious thinking that we don't belong here, but then cut to six hours later at three in the morning, when we're in the hotel bar, you know, rubbing elbows and sitting on couches and talking with Chris Nova and Taylor Hawkins and Dave Grohl. It's like, we're one of the gang because we were one of the gang. And the truth is we were one of the gang by the time we snuck backstage earlier that night, uh, and so that I think about that a lot actually. I'm glad you asked about that because it's a good reminder to just say like wherever you end up, whatever room yeah. you know you walk into or door you find open, like find you find a way in, you belong there and and you can give something to that room and you can receive something and just uh just go for it. It, it was awesome. That was an amazing night.
0: That is awesome. So uh, Grohl, one of my favorite videos are Grohl. Did you ever see him and Will Farrell doing anything might be like Fleetwood Mac or something? They're singing the uh um, no. Will Farrell and it's I'll I'll send you the link. It's five, six years ago. He's singing it, then Will Farrell singing it, and, and Will Farrell just it's it's so funny. I'll check it out. Yeah. I'll
1: send you the YouTube like it's hysterical. But was he called Grohl? Was he a good dude? He's awesome. He he's everything that you think he would be. Very much the same. He's the guy. He's the he's the uh, he's the son that everybody finds their place around. Yeah, yeah, that's so
0: cool. That's good to hear. But moving on,
1: be respectful of your time. I could
0: talk to you for a couple hours, man. But I want to, I, I want to uh, be respectful of your time. Let's move on to your writing, your blog, which was my introduction to your work. Writing music and producing music and being a, a consultant for musicians to me that would put my creative that would be. That would explode my creative capacity. I wouldn't have enough creative capacity to do that. And on top of that, you're writing. It's a whole nother beast writing, where being able to put something on paper, not just write, but share it with the world. Tell me about your blog. How did you start writing? And you write how your writing connects you to the world. Can you describe?
1: Yeah, the blog started probably five or six years ago. And it was, I had, I was losing a bit of my connection to. music world just finding myself a bit untethered didn't know what i wanted to do and it was actually seth uh seth godin and one of his somebody who worked with him named winnie who they had this challenge to just write every day for seven days and that's how i started was from that i was just like okay i'll try writing for seven days in a row and then i just never stopped and it was again I was feeling a bit lost, feeling untethered. And I also wanted to take control or seize control of my responsibility in that equation of feeling untethered or unconnected to the music business. And rather than waiting for somebody to offer what I was hoping for, I was just going to give something that I thought was good enough. And, and Having spent at that time, you know, already 10 or 12 years in the music business, this this was my community and this is my world. And I wanted to give I I felt like I had seen enough and been through enough to uh turn around and share a lot of those experiences and, and life lessons and little nuance details that I like writing about.
0: Did you take one of Seth's courses or how did you
1: connect? With no, I never I never took a course. It was just um it was just that he he did a little challenge through one of his blog posts. To just say, yes. hey, if you're interested in this, you should write every day for seven days. And that was it. How this
0: podcast started, he offered a course over COVID called the podcasting workshop. He led it over for like 35 days. And he said, show up 35 days in a row, you'll have a podcast. And I did that. And the next thing you know, this this came about. He's phenomenally creative, man. He's one of the gurus to, to get things going. How did you decide that not only do you want to write, but you want to share? I want to post it, and I want to I want to get a website, and I want to share it each day. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, the sharing is was equally the hard part as the writing, yep. and so I wanted to look for the hard part and do what felt difficult and right, yep. and that was hitting that that share, hitting that send button, and that's been that that's. I would say equally, both the writing for myself and the sharing for others has, has been, man, both things have changed my mind, changed how I see the world.
0: Yeah. What website do you use to host your blog?
1: Yeah. So I use Squarespace, just okay. a template on there. And then I send out to I use MailChimp as my email people. And do I use anything else? I use bit.ly for some links. Okay. And I think that's it. It's pretty simple. It's it's pretty simple. And w- when I, the w- my process is really cumbersome. It's probably not efficient, but I just pull up an empty note on my computer or just like a, a empty text edit, just like the really basic text edit screen. Mm-hmm. And I write it in a text edit and then I copy and paste it to MailChimp. And then I fly it around everywhere else. And, I put a link on Facebook, link on Twitter, and I'm done.
0: That's really cool. How many days are you ahead? Are You, you have a couple of days in the bank or how's that work?
1: The way that I do it is, so like I was talking about the notes app on my phone earlier, I've probably got a thousand I- ideas that I haven't written yet. So yep. during the day, I usually only have time to write down ideas or like first lines yep. or short little bits in my notes app. So then at the end of the day, when I go, when I'm going to write, I'll go through a lot of those notes or just think, you know, is there anything that comes to mind today to write about? And there's no magic to it other than the best, the most magic, if I could pass anything along to your listeners, is at the top of every year, I just decide whether or not I'm going to write that year. and. It relieves me of having to make a decision every day, whether I'm going to write or not. I make, the, I make one decision at the beginning of every year, and then that's it. Wow. And so I think it's that decision that then causes me to see things to write about. When I see things to write about, it makes the writing a lot easier.
0: It's like that Tim Ferriss thing. You make one decision that make all other decisions easier. To exactly,
1: to. exactly. Yeah, that's okay. been super helpful. And you can use that Tim Ferriss technique or whoever. It's just like that can be used across a lot of things, making one decision to, to open up emotional energy to use elsewhere. Over the last few weeks, I
0: pulled a couple ideas from your blog which so I thought were pretty cool. Just so you can maybe share a little bit or just expound on it a little bit. I love this post. Every day is a comeback. Can you get back or exceed the previous mountaintop you had yesterday? Life is just
1: hard. Is it, Life is just tough. And every day is, you got to get up for the game. You got to find a way to do it one more time. And there, there's a little bit of a miracle in that every day. Because it's not a given, the success that you had yesterday. Yep. It's not given that you're going to take it into today. One of the best things, one of the keys to seeing that you're doing work that you ought to keep doing is the idea of how quickly can you recover? Because anybody can sprint one time, you know, the length of a basketball court. The key is how quickly can you recover to do it again? And that's the daily thing with it. Is, is can you wake up every day having recharged enough to to make another run? Yeah.
0: yeah, this next one kind of goes into that. This might be the next day you wrote, every day you got to summon your energy, remember your reasons and make another miracle happen. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's not easy, man. It's as life changes and circumstances change. It's just, I, I feel like it, the idea of success And what that means has changed. And part of what it means is just the opportunity to do it again.
0: Yeah. And that goes back to almost that infinite game. You know what I mean? With the the ability to keep playing and staying in the game. Here's another one I just love. A random idea from one of your posts. Getting good at something spills over to so much more.
1: Yeah. I I like this. I like that one a lot. I, I was thinking about some early musician days and we we were booking gigs and going to play because we thought we needed to get better at playing our songs. And we did, but the education, so my band, my first band didn't start till after I got out of college, I had already graduated college. And I often say that my real education began after I graduated because those going on the road and showing up, And there's a lot of people or there's not a lot of people or there's a difficult venue manager or the ticket pricing wasn't done correctly or the drummer is late or any number of things. I thought we were going to get, you know, play our songs and get better at doing that. But there's so much more in those situations that is an offshoot of, well, we thought we were just getting better at our songs. Well, really, we were getting better at so much more.
0: Yeah. Because if you look at like things to get good at something, it's more of a generalization, but you got to get up early. You got to grind. You have to have the courage to do a crappy first draft. You have to take feedback. You have to make adjustments. You know what I mean? You have to show your work to maybe people that are a little bit further ahead of you in the journey and accept their feedback. You have to ignore the haters that maybe have nothing to offer, but like Ah, uh, this will never work. You suck. Something like that. That has no value. You have to ignore them, but taking the, the real good feedback, the people that care about you and have something to offer the courage to do it again and just show up again the next day and keep going. Right? Like, And if you take that like framework, no matter if it's jujitsu, cooking, music, you're going to get better. And you stay in that game, that infinite game. You keep showing up day after day. It's hard not to get better, right? It's hard yeah. not to improve. Yeah, you will improve. How about this one? I love one of my favorite bands ever is the Beatles. And I believe, Hey Jude may be your number one song on your, your set yeah. list.
1: Um, yeah, 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 it's great. Man.
0: What the Beatles can teach us about chemistry. Peter Best may be a better drummer than Ringo. Some people said, but there was no chemistry with them. Can chemistry be created or do you need to change personnel? Like they, eagle, like they had Pete Best, who was definitely a good enough drummer. But there was something with the chemistry that was not there. So instead of working with the chemistry, they're trying to get it right with Pete, who already can drum, they said, You're gone. And we had Ringo, and he tied everything together. Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah. On the Beatles Get Back documentary that came out this past winter. That was the one thing I was so surprised to see about the Beatles was how Ringo was really the glue. Of everything, nobody had a bad word to say about Ringo. He was always happy to be there, happy to try something, happy to you know sort of metaphorically put his arms around everybody and say like, "Hey, we're okay." And that position in any band or organization is so important and necessary for any sort of big success. And so the idea of chemistry, so with Ringo being on the documentary, that points us toward chemistry is important and it's a real thing. So then the next question is, can we develop it or is it already? I mean, like the name of your podcast is, is it built or is it born? Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm caught in the middle of it. I've had some conversations with people in the last couple of weeks, just saying that you have to have the essence of it and then you can build it. And some people saying either you have it or you don't. I think it's interesting to think that, There was a moment uh, when Paul was going to shake John's hand that they didn't have chemistry and then they did. And so they went from not having chemistry to having chemistry. And so if you can go from not having it to having it, maybe there's something to be said for we can build
0: it. I think that would probably take I know some teams that I've been on in the past where if two people just don't respect or like each other. And they're in the same room all the time. It's so much easier to change personnel and to connect like-minded people together. And the chemistry builds so much faster. Sometimes it can be done, but it's a lot of work with people that maybe just don't see eye to eye, do the job differently. Sometimes it's rough to get that chemistry of two people that maybe, I don't think that person's as good as they think they are. And they think the same about you. And sometimes it's tough to be in the same room with them.
1: Right. And that takes the whole question into an interesting place of chemistry given the constraints of time yeah. because you want if you're on a team you might not have 15 years to invest with somebody or a group of people to achieve the chemistry that you want and so in that case the best thing probably is to change personnel yeah yeah i think
0: you're right winding up your music your top 100 songs which i love going through how about this? Who do you think is the most underrated band of all time?
1: Ooh, underrated. I think it's really surprising that the Killers haven't had a hit in like fifteen years, okay. and yet they're still headlining festivals. Yeah, and they they just came through Nashville a few weeks ago, and they headlined the arena hockey yeah. arena. Uh, So are they underrated? They're probably, they're just a bit forgotten. I think for the level of which they're still playing shows and like putting on great performances, they're just not thought of as much in the popular culture landscape. Cause they're not like a classic artist, like a Bruce Springsteen or Paul McCartney, but they're, they're a modern artist still doing big things, but man, it's been a long time since they've had like a commercial
0: hit. Does that remind you a little bit, maybe like Iron Maiden, something like that, where yeah. they just they they'll sell a, an arena out in a second, but you never hear their songs on the radio, ever.
1: right?
0: Unless you know go on Spotify and play to play Iron Maiden. I mean, you won't hear Iron Maiden on any of the top stations in Philly. Like you could go a week without hearing an Iron Maiden song. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly same yeah. thing. How about give me some your thoughts on maybe some of the most overrated bands of all time? Overrated.
1: Oh, man, people aren't going to like this. You got me in hot water, Joe. Okay, I we can skip. Uh, no, 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 let's go, let's go. Okay, I'll, I'll go on record and say I'm not a huge Tom Petty fan. Okay, wow. And okay. I'm not a huge, and I'm not, okay, my thing about the Rolling Stones is oh, yes. that the difference between the Beatles and the Stones go is ahead. that the Beatles had the good songs. Wow. But... The Stones gave us the first idea of you could be a band for being cool. Okay. And that idea, you wouldn't have Kings of Leon. You wouldn't have Cage the Elephant. You wouldn't probably have Nirvana if not for the Stones because the Stones were the first ones to say like, hey, we are going to build this thing on the idea of cool. Yeah. That, that that's my yeah, take sure, sure, yeah. a lot of people would disagree with that but that's what i see when i see the beatles stones thing is that the beatles had the songs the stones were the first one to capitalize on cool
0: okay cool that's funny you hit
1: me with tom petty man
0: i'm such a petty fan
1: are you re- see and i'm, I'm, I'm such uh, a petty. oh my
0: god i'm such a and, yeah. oh, I'm such a stones fan and another i got a little bone to pick with you i looked through the hundred songs please and, and we're all uh, we're all p- byproduct of our era yeah. Um, I do not see one U2 song in your top 100. Oh, they're, they're, I think there's
1: two on there. Is
0: there. Really? Okay, you got a U2 song on there? there? There's
1: two. There's Where the Streets Have No Name. Okay, and I didn't see that. I didn't see U2. Yeah, there's uh, Streets Have No Name and All I Want Is You. Okay. Yeah. Right, okay, I feel better two now. Crazy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, feel yeah. I couldn't, got into U2 a little bit later in the game, but man, I went to their 360 tour yeah. a bunch of years ago and that really turned some lights on for me that was that stage of running
0: around in circle it's so good it's so yeah. good and on youtube yeah. they have the one in milan i think when the 360 that's like one of the main videos on yep. youtube and i think they do is like a city of blinding lights um uh all i want is you and then streets they go one two three and it's just the place is just going insane it's so good it's yeah it's so good Oh, to be respectful of your time, I know you have a hard stop in a few minutes. How about most authors are pretty big readers. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a favorite book? Do you have a book that impacted your life more than any other?
1: I have a book that I take with me every time I go to the beach, which is Think and Grow Rich. Oh, yeah. The classic. And I've probably read that book. I read parts of it every time I go to the beach and I go to the beach at least once a year that one, I would say that one I've read the most. And there's a book called Failure of Nerve and the, it's it's a leadership book, but it, man, it's one that I only had to read once for it to really change the way I thought about some things. That's really good. Failure of Nerve. I'll put that in the show notes. Well, yeah. I love
0: Audible and I try to always have an Audible book going or read a couple of pages. But when I wake up each morning, I'm realizing now, like, I'm getting out of like the newest book. I got to jump on the newest book. I have so many books. I get so much out of revisiting a great book like Think and Grow Rich or Meditations by Marcus Aurelius or like Good to Great by Jim Collins, going back and reading that a third or fourth time. And even as I'm just reading my notes and highlights of the book, I get so much more of going deep in one book than getting someone else's book and reading it and just like glancing through their material. I go more deep than wide and I get so much more out of it. I'm realizing it makes sense.
1: Yeah. I do the same thing. I, I go through seasons of reading where I'm reading a lot or reading a little bit. Sometimes I need to stop reading and start doing, I get too caught up in the reading. And then I, but I oftentimes find myself going back to some of those books that really resonated and being reminded of those key bullet points that really make a difference.
0: Yeah. How about this? I mean, you got so much going on with your music and your producing and being a shepherd, a consultant, uh, a blogger, a a husband, a dad, Uh, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do?
1: Oh man, I've been playing basketball again. Nice. Yeah, I played it. I played all growing up and then I probably took the last, uh, 15 years off and now I'm back. Nice. What's your position? I, I I play, I used to play point guard. Now I'm, I'm better as a two guard. Okay. Yeah. 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 But, uh, but yeah, it, it's great. Actually just, I played this morning and it's, it's just, it's great for my body. It's great for my mind. I come back to the house better than, than when I left.
0: That's perfect. That's great. How about we're about a year out of the COVID-19 shutdown. That hit music venues, restaurants, sporting events, stadiums, more than anything. What lessons did you take out of COVID-19? Like that year and a half where everything was shut down? Just to
1: keep going. Just to find a way to keep going. Yeah.
0: Keep going. So as you look out to the year ahead, what's the most exciting project you're working on now?
1: So a couple of things. Me and my wife have got a Christmas party coming up December. We do it every year. We're going to, we come up with a game, a big group game every year. And so right now we're in development of that game, which is super exciting. And then I've also jumped back into some songwriting, which I haven't, I haven't been doing as much of in the past couple of years. Yeah. Really getting excited about that all over again. And that's, um, Those those probably aren't the biggest projects, maybe, but they're the most exciting ones that are happening right now that really get my
0: blood pumping. Really cool. Now keep going there, man. That is awesome. I'll wrap it up here. Some fun questions to wrap this up. If you could have everyone listening take one lesson away from everything we discussed, what would that lesson be?
1: (sighs) Two things decide before you need to decide and that will save you a lot of time and energy that's so
0: good
1: and something that i want to put out there every time i'm asked a question like that is just to for all of us to get to know the people who we love there's a lot of change that i seek to make and a lot of change joe that i know you seek to make The truth is we can't do it all. We wish we could. We wish we could be with everybody, make change for everybody. But the truth is we can't. And so the next best thing is for all of us to connect with the people around us, the people we love, our close friends and family, and let that foster the change and connection that I think guys like you and me are pointing people toward. But ultimately, we can't do it all. And so what do we need people to do? Just get to know the people you love.
0: I love that, and I love the side before you need to decide. That's so killer. If you could spend a day with any musician, historical figure, alive or dead, who would it be?
1: Joe, I could act like this is a difficult question, but it's not. It's it's Paul McCartney. How so? I could make a case for a lot of other people. A lot of other people. Yeah, yeah. But it. uh, But at the end of the day. freaking he's the guy he's the he's the beetle i mean even after watching the get back things like he was the engine he was the juice um he's just the man
0: did you see the James Corden where they went back to Penny Lane and he showed up at the bar and the, the curtain comes out and it's him? It's pure magic. It's mad. They were insane. It's so pure basic. magic. Yeah. He looks great. He's like well into his 70s. He looks awesome. Yeah. I think he just turned 80. He looks phenomenal. Like absolutely phenomenal. Yep. Yeah. What, what, what a beast. All right. Last question. This is so much fun, man. I appreciate you joining us, Gabe. Gabe Anderson, if. You had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body. What would that quote or motto say?
1: I think I would just get "Whoops." <laughs> How so? Go out uh, Go. Uh, I I wonder what the I wonder what the arc. Of, tat- of tattooing is like because people used to get them to be very rebellious, yep. and then it moved into like a cool thing, yep, and then it moved into a meaningful thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, do you have any tattoos?
0: I don't know, I got nothing. The only tattoos I got are all the bruises on my body from Jitsu. they're like temporary, right? they go the ex- about a week and they turn and they turn they ter- they, they, the expensive yeah.
1: temporary ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. Um, I've got one tattoo. It's for my wife. And I'm pretty happy with that. I don't think there's a quote I would get. Other, the whoops thing is just to be silly. I don't know if I would anymore. I don't know if I would get a tattoo anymore. That, that's
0: an interesting perspective because you look back and when I was really little, the tattoos were, you're rebellious. You're like a biker or you were like an army. You went to Nam, like you're a special forces guy. You had like a, that ranger tattoo on your arm. Like it was some badass stuff and it, it evolved. And now like everyone has one. Most of my friends, all have tattoos, it's like everyone has them. It's almost, it, it's very common. It's not as like, oh my gosh, you have a tattoo. It's almost more eye opening when you don't have a tattoo these days.
1: Right. So yeah. what, what would you get if you, if you had to get one? That's a great
0: question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that in 70 episodes. If I had to get one, I would probably put, I'd probably put keep going. Mm. Because like I get knocked down a lot, Not never the biggest, never the strongest, never the smartest, never the most analytical, but I keep showing up. And I think if, if I have a superpower, it's you can throw me against the wall, knock me out, I'll get back up, shake it off, and I'll keep going. And I make adjustments. Don't just keep going and make the same mistakes, but that'd be too long of a tattoo. I guess that'd go on my back. <laughs> but just keep, like, just keep going. I mean,
1: yeah, yourself? I love that. I love that.
0: How about, so anyway, wrapping up here. So Gabe, if people were looking to connect with you online, where could they find you?
1: Yeah, the best place is gabethebassplayer.com. And you can link out to all the other all the other stuff from there, but you can sign up for the blog on there and drop me an email if you'd like i like get an email i'm pretty speedy with replying try to be pretty good with that yeah then you can link out to facebook and instagram and everything else from there so facebook
0: instagram com, your blog yeah. i will put all of them in the show notes and Perfect. Uh, gabe anderson i appreciate you joining us man it's yeah.
1: an honor thank you for doing this joe you're really good at this and it's, it's fun to just jump on board and do it because I don't have a podcast, so I just get to come on and jump on your bandwagon for an hour that you've been doing so diligently. So it's it's great to be a part of it. And thank you for asking me. Uh, keep going. You're doing amazing writing, amazing
0: song work, and there's not enough creative people like you in the universe, man. Keep going, Gabe. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, man.
1: Take care. Okay. I'll see you, see you later. All right. See you, Joe.
0: Hey, it's Joe Chicarone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way with connecting the podcast with more listeners. So if you could, I would really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Talk soon.